It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is No Labels? What is the plan behind their 2024 insurance policy? And what impact could it have on the next presidential election? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Warnasek. If you couldn't already tell from the many political ads, campaign rallies, growing candidate speculation, images of candidates at the Iowa State Fair, the 2024 presidential race is in full gear. As it currently stands, we've got a pretty crowded field of candidates on the Republican side, as well as a few candidates challenging the incumbent President Biden on the Democrat side. While some Americans are doubling down on those candidates, there are others who aren't happy with the potential options for the next president of the United States. That is where No Labels comes in. No Labels is a nonprofit working to provide voters with a third option alternative. So what does that mean? Are they a political party? What would a No Labels ticket look like? And what are the core beliefs that drive the No Labels movement? Well, here to answer all of these questions and more is No Labels National Director Joe Cunningham, as well as No Labels Chief Strategist Ryan Clancy. Joe and Ryan join me now. How's it going, guys? Good. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for coming on. We are here to talk about no labels. This is something that has been so fascinating to follow. And I know you guys have been around for a little bit, but just for our listeners who don't really know what this organization is, can you just give kind of the basic definition, your guys' goals and what people should know? Yeah, I mean, we've been around for 14 years. We see ourselves as the voice of the common sense majority. And uh, a lot of the work we've done over the years is through Congress, trying to bring people together there, Democrats, Republicans. Joe, of course, was in the Problem Solvers Caucus when he served uh, that we helped inspire the creation of. And what we're getting the most attention for today is obviously our effort to get on the ballot potentially for 24 and maybe put up an independent unity ticket for president. Okay, so just to expand a little bit on what you said um, before, the you guys work with Congress to try to move things forward. What does that look like? What kind of things have you worked with Congress on? Joe, why don't you take that one? Yeah, sure. Um, Abby, I'd say that any major bipartisan win in Congress over the last several years has had the fingerprints of the Problem Solvers Caucus on it. Uh, when, when I got to D.C., I was, uh, I guess, surprised and disappointed to find out that there weren't any spaces where you had Democrats and Republicans coming together at the table every single week to talk about problems and bipartisan solutions save for uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus. And this is a group you know, comprised of half Democrats, half Republicans. And they met every single week to talk about the pressing issues, whether, you know, when I was there, is, whether it's COVID relief or as of late, you know, the uh, debt ceiling negotiations or the infrastructure bill or CHIPS Act. And it also gave members an opportunity to, you know, forge relationships to sponsor bipartisan bills. I can tell you, you know, in just two years, I had two of my bills make it through a divided Congress and got signed into law by President Trump. I don't don't think those would have happened had I not had that space to work within. And that space was facilitated, of course, by the Problem Solvers Caucus, which was formed uh, by no labels. 
And, you know, considering the thin majorities today in the House and the Senate and how each of them seem to, you know, flip like pancakes every two years, I think it's safe to say that if anything's going to get done, it's got to get, get done in a bipartisan fashion. And No Labels has been there uh, to promote that those types of efforts. Yeah, you know, the common sense majority, you would hope that, you know, both parties think they're operating under common sense. They think they have the answer to everything. So when you call it the common sense majority, what exactly do you mean? What what are you appealing to? So there's this vast universe of people in the country. Some people call it the exhausted majority um, that are just disgusted with the way our politics work. And if you talk to them, they're they have common sense on most issues. Meaning if you look at our immigration problem, for example, if you put most of like a cross section of Americans in a room, gave them some beer and pizza and said, all right, you all got to hash this out. They'd figure it out in about two hours. They'd say, well, look, we want to have a secure border. So let's do the things we need to do that. But you know, we also don't want to close ourselves off to immigrants because they make the, the country stronger. So let's find a way to do that. So that's how the common sense majority thinks about the issue. But that's not how the partisans on both sides think about that issue. They only think about one side of it. And they're usually a lot less interested in beating the hell out of the other side uh, over that issue as a campaign tactic than they are on solving it. Mm -hmm. Well, I would argue to say beer and pizza brings everyone together. No, de sure. doesn't matter what topic you're talking about. So mm -hmm. maybe we should call it the beer and pizza party. Um, that is where most people are. Uh, <laughs> And, 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 you know, Abby, mechanically speaking, you know, when a party is in the majority and they have their signature piece of legislation, whether it be voting rights or immigration reform, they always try to stack all of their different pieces, you know, their wish list, so to speak. Um, however, you know, if, you, if they really just parsed out the sections that there is bipartisan agreement on, uh, really a lot more could get done, you know, like rifle shot legislation uh, is what they called it the singular pieces. And, you know, I think this, this, this book common sense, uh, that was put out by, uh, no labels kind of addresses a lot of those things, even the more contentious topics. Yeah. Well, you guys, you're an organization, right? You're not act, you're not technically a party. Is that, that's confusing to some people. Yeah. How are you guys different than like the RNC or DNC? Well, we're what's called a 501c4. So we're like the AARP or the League of Women Voters. So we're, like, we're an advocacy group. Like the RNC, the DNC, their parties, they're running candidates up and down the ticket for state legislature and city council and everything else. We don't do that at all. Um, what we're doing in the 24 presidential races, we're just working to get on the ballot to potentially uh, put up a unity ticket on there. But only if there's an opening. We can talk about what that looks like in a bit. But we're only going to put up a ticket if we think it can win. So then how does an organization like No Labels then get a third party candidate on the ballot? Well, so the way it has to work at the state level is we're this national organization. We're a C4, but in this, at the state level, sometimes you have to be a party technically to get on the ballot. So we have these local affiliates like in North Carolina, we just got on the ballot. Technically, that is the uh, no Labels Party of North Carolina that did that. So you can think of No Labels, the C4, we're like the mothership, and there's all these affiliates uh, that we're helping get ballot access uh, out in the states. Got it. Um, so then, 
your ideal situation, what would that look like for 2024? Could you be specific? I mean, I don't know if you have an idea of people you're thinking about or who is involved with no labels. I know Joe Manchin, John Huntsman. These are people, these are names we've heard so far. Where do you guys stand on that? I don't know, Joe, what's, what's your ideal situation? Well, ideal situation would be to have, you know, a couple of candidates from the major parties that Americans were excited about voting for. Um, and yeah, I mean, that would be ideal, right? I think we're at a point in time that's very, very unique where two thirds of Americans aren't happy with their presumptive nominees. And, you know, the fact remains uh, in light of that in the, or in the face of that, uh, there's no entity or group that is, you know, attempting to put forth another choice, another option for Americans. And, you know, this is the United States of America. We value our freedoms and our choices, and we, we believe that Americans should have the the ability or the chance to vote for some someone as opposed to just voting against someone. And uh, you know, I th ideally, I think that would be uh, the choice is just to have a couple choices that people are excited about. However, we're not we don't seem to be in that situation. So if the two major parties can't put forth candidates that a good number of Americans are excited to vote for, uh, then we believe that they deserve another option, another voice, another choice come, come next year. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. How, I mean, obviously there are a lot of hopes. You, you would think that people could kind of meet in the middle ground, but you know, a lot of people, Ryan, I guess I'll, I'll direct this to you. A lot of people argue whether or not a moderate candidate can win. And you know, when you expand on that current state of political polarization within the country right now that you kind of just mentioned, how likely do you think it is that people will seek out a third party option on the ballot? Well, look, the first thing you have to look at is what do they think of the choices they're likely to get? And, you know, the answer to that is not much. So you pick any poll you want, two thirds of people will tell you, we do not want a rematch of the 2020 election. Well, so why is it that we have to have that? Why, like, like you, you talk to anybody, nobody is excited about the election that we're, we're going to get, but people feel like we're trapped. Well, we, we just have to roll over and take this. Well, you don't. There, there, there's nothing in the Constitution that says it's got to be just whatever the two parties force on you. I think one of the things that's striking, if you think about the way we pick these candidates, these primary processes where uh, candidates get picked, not a lot of people show up. So if you go back to like 2020, only a quarter of people in the country actually showed up and voted in these primaries that then decide who's going to represent the parties at the, at the top of the ticket. So there's a very narrow group of people that actually shape our choices. Mm -hmm. And those people are making choices that most Americans don't like. So we think there's got to be another avenue to put forward a choice that they might like. It is curious. I was just in Iowa at the Iowa State Fair and I was interviewing people just about what they care about. Of course, uh, they're all pointing to the economy. People can't afford to put gas in their cars, pay for their food, inflation, things like that. And then you have, so you have the, the everyday American issues, right? But then you also have these divisive political issues like abortion, gun control, climate change. A lot of people who are, uh, you know, kind of prioritize those issues, they're very passionate and they say, they won't budge. How do you find common ground with those types of things? 
Well, Joe mentioned this book that we put out over the uh, summer. It was called uh, Common Sense. And it wasn't no labels coming up with the positions. We actually were polling people all across the country uh, over the course uh, of a year. So tens and tens of thousands of people to get a sense of where they stand on the issues. And one of the things that's surprising is on issue after issue, people actually can get to a compromise on things, even on the really hard things. So you, you look at the abortion issue, you look at the transgender rights issue. We lay out in this booklet uh, the outlines of what a compromise would actually look like if, uh, if people actually wanted to, to look for it. But they don't want to do that because the way you get through your party primaries is not by showing, here's how I'm actually going to get this done. Here's how I'm actually going to bring people together to solve an issue. You do it by saying, I will never move on this issue. I, I, will, I will be true to exactly what everybody on our team wants. And the consequence of that is you can get elected saying that, but then once you get in, you can't actually do anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. A lot of people are in the middle with these things. And um, I guess, too, I, I'm curious about how it would work if you guys did have a candidate, for instance. Would it be two candidates? Would you have a moderate right and a moderate left? Or how would that work? So the idea is a unity ticket, Democrat and a Republican. And they don't necessarily have to be moderate. I think that's something that people, um, you know, when they think about no labels, they always think moderate centrist. Yeah, there's plenty of people in our movement that think about themselves that way, but you can be conservative liberal too, but you just gotta be pragmatic about it and recognize that to get things done in your life, you usually have to work with people you don't always agree with. Why, why would politics be any different? And yet somehow we've got to a place where people think that that's how it's supposed to be. Right. So then when it when it comes to maybe foreign affairs and you have the whoever the president is going overseas, would both go and who would talk to? I'm thinking logistics. I'm just I'm curious how, how that would work, because, you know, ideally you have two different perspectives and you can kind of come together. Um, but when it comes to meeting other world leaders, how would that look? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it'd be a president and a vice president. So presumably whoever's on the top of the ticket would would lead that. But look, that's that's kind of the magic of this idea. Can you imagine if we actually had two leaders uh, from two different parties and they wake up each day thinking not how do we get one over on the other side, but how do we actually get to yes on a given issue? Really, what we're trying to do is what Joe and his colleagues did in the Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress. Well, what if we had that kind of leadership and that kind of attitude in the executive branch? And Abby, you know, mechanically speaking, too, it, it's be encouraging to know that, you know, the office president, vice president would always have a direct line of communication to leadership and either in the House or the Senate, because, as I mentioned earlier, it, it, it flips sides so often. And you oftentimes see that, you know, maybe the president uh, will hold off or be not unwilling, but hesitant to to directly sit down with the leadership of uh, the opposing party, uh, especially in a prompt manner. I mean, in my mind, the that idea of having that direct line of communication it would would it, it would promote so much better legislation and efficiency. And also, you know, the vice president obviously the, that role has been less important up until recently when the Senate has become more deadlocked and. The vice president has been casting casting more votes the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, I, I would see um, I would see I, I would see some strong points in, all the way around, though. Mm -hmm. I, I do want to ask you too because um, 
Joe, you came from the Democrat Party, and I, I don't know if you're still a part of that, or do you drop that when you go to No Labels, or how do you represent yourself with No Labels? No, look, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and you know, you know, I think um, no, no labels draws from from all ends of the political spectrum. You know, the independents, the Democrats, the Republicans. Uh, you know, as opposed to the, as it relates to the unity ticket, if one is nominated, uh, I believe that they would just be under the the umbrella of the unity ticket. And the idea, the focus is to, to purge the partisanship and get past this, uh, where you know, the first thing we, you know, we've gotten to the point. I think I feel like as a country where someone finds out what party another person's in and their ears either open up or they close, you know, and, and it's odd. It's just it's strange because there's no family that sits around at Thanksgiving and gives thanks for their political parties. You know, there's no <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't go to church and light a candle for my political party like, I, you know, or I, I, it just doesn't happen when you ask folks what well, the top three things or five things that are important in their lives. Uh, you know, they may say God, family, friends, my job, you know, my home, but no one ever lists their political party up there. But for some reason or another, that has become the determinant factor in so many decisions that, that people will make or uh, or the thoughts that they have. And, and look, we're just we're trying to push past that. No Labels has had a lot of success uh, over the last 12, 13, 14 years in, in, in doing that. And we're we're just trying to build upon that past success. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I, I have different views than many of my friends and the ones who, there are ones who think completely opposite of, of me. And um, those are the conversations when I have, when I try to say something, they, they close their ears. But then there are some friends who have completely opposite views and we have such a good conversation and we end up somewhere in the middle where I understand where they're coming from. They understand where I'm coming from and you're never going to change anyone's mind. Mm -hmm. But if you can take those two things and put them together and see how we can move forward as, you know, a friendship or a country, that's when the true success happens. Yeah. You can learn mm -hmm. a lot. You can learn a lot. And as mentioned earlier, imagine how, crazy it is for listeners to to learn or, or find out that you don't have uh, opportunities like that in Congress for Dems and Republicans to sit down and, and talk through issues as opposed to just, you know, trading barbs back and forth on TV. I mean, look, I, I think about look, I, like Joe, I came up on, the, on you know, in democratic politics. And, um, you know, I think about as, even as a family, when we used to talk about politics or friends, like we talked about it. But we talked about it like normal people, and then we moved on to other things. Everybody knows this. These last five or six years, politics has deranged people. I mean, I have several people in my life, family, friends, that they're gone. We, we Relationships fell apart because they got deranged by politics. And um, everybody has a story about that, like a friend, a family member, an uncle that they don't talk to anymore uh, because of this. And, and that's What's happening on the personal level is now happening at the national level. And that's really destructive. We've got to find a way out of this. We've got to find a way to break out of this cycle. We think this effort that we're doing here is at, is at least one way to do that. Where do you think that comes from, by the way? Because I mean, we've, I feel like we've all noticed that, especially with social media, people want to be, they want to look like they know what they're talking about or they want to express their opinion. Now, everybody has an opinion, but they want to share it and they have the 
opportunity to do so when, you know, like you mentioned at the dinner table, you can kind of, you might get a little heated and you might be like, well, I don't understand your perspective at all. But when you hear someone else's perspective, it strengthens your own as well. You know, you think, okay, well, that's a good point, but how would I respond to that? And it makes you think a little bit deeper. Now people just aren't even willing to listen. Why do you think that's the case in the last several years? I mean, I really think it's because we've stopped looking at people as people. I mean, really, like, like we just look at people and they, and they have a political affiliation and they just become a cardboard cutout to us. I mean, I remember I had a situation a couple of years ago where my father-in-law, who we lost a couple of years ago, really conservative guy. We think very different about politics. And I had a friend say, man, like, how do you, how do you deal with him? How do you deal with that? And I thought to myself, this guy is the greatest guy I've ever met in my life. He's a Marine. He's the most generous person I've ever met. Um, loves me and, and our granddaughter. I don't give a damn what he thinks about politics. And so like, I, I just see him as a person and a person that I care about deeply. And I really think that's what we're losing is mm -hmm. just because somebody thinks differently, we need to put them in the bucket of, all right, I, I, I don't even see you as a person anymore. You're just an enemy. And we got to get out of that. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about his passing, by the way. He seems like oh, a great you. guy. Yes. I'm sure he's watching down and listening to you on this podcast right now too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Talk about I mean, him in such a great way. Um, you know, it, it is true. You know, my mom, my mom always says something. She's like, you know, depending on no matter what your religion is, obviously people believe different things, but we, you know, follow the Ten Commandments. She's like, if people just follow the Ten Commandments and, you know, our whole country just had similar mor morals and values and we could agree on that, then we could move forward and we could really work together. And um, unfortunately, it seems like in today's world, people just have a different concept of what's right and what's wrong. And that's where things are getting kind of blurred. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people, um, people can't even agree on the facts anymore, Abby, uh, let alone the solutions. I mean, can't even agree on whether or not or what the problem is. You know, how are you going to how are you going to get in a room and hash out how to even address it? Right. You know what I think about, too? I always like to compare things to sports because I come from a sports background and you see a Yankees fan and a Mets fan on game day walking uh, to the same train station and they get, you know, they can get in an altercation. People are that passionate. They show yeah. that they want to be passionate about something and, and it, it might not even be that big of a deal, but they find joy in, you know, claiming something as their own. But then once that game is over, they can walk down the street and go grab a beer. So if we could do that with politics, you might think completely differently. You could be rooting for a different team, but at the end of the day, we are coming together for a sporting event. We're coming together to unify our country. And it, it would be nice if we could do the same thing in real life as we do in sports. It would, and you know, there's another like sports analogy I think about sometimes. So we've all heard that phrase um, in sports, winning ugly, which means, yeah. you know, it's a team that like, they didn't have a good performance, but they still won and they got the W and that's all that matters. The problem is like in politics, if you win ugly, it does matter. So if, if I campaign in the whole campaign, I just talk about the other side, like they're the antichrist and they're evil. And then I win. How am I supposed to work with those people? I've just spent the last year telling all the people that support me that this whole half of the country um, are useless and they, have, they, they shouldn't even be allowed to be at the table. And now I have to go to them and say, all right, will you work with me? So like, Winning ugly is fine in sports. It's not okay in politics. Like we need people who, when they run for office, they actually run on this message we're talking about. So when they get in, they've got the space to actually solve some problems. 
Yeah, you know, I always found that so interesting with debates, you know, on the Democrat and Republican side, they get up there on the stage and they trade barbs. And then you're like, one day, whoever's president is going to have to choose a vice president. And it's likely going to be from those people that you were just know. you know, yelling at and trading right. barbs with. So how are you supposed to work together after that? It, it just is so it's so crazy to me. It is. All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. You know, a lot of people from both sides uh, are excited about no labels. There's also people who say that it will only help the opposing party win. What do you guys say to folks who think that way? Well, I mean, what else would we expect them to say? I mean, they don't want the competition, right? So what they're just going to do is demonize what you're doing and and question your motives or say you can't win or say you're only going to be a spoiler the only thing we can lean into is the, the thing that we should all be able to agree on, which is the public doesn't like their choices and somebody should actually try to maybe give them a choice they might want. And, and that's what we're doing. Is there any candidate from the past, um, like any instances where a third party candidate really did take off, like an instance that you might look to? Yes. Lincoln. In uh, 1860, he was technically the Republican Party was a new party. It was a four way race. He only got like 39, 40% of the vote. So it's happened before, just not recently. And, and Abby, I, th- I think one thing you have to, br- you know, habits are hard to break, right? And we've lived our entire lives w- within this duopoly where we have choice A or B. And in the back of our minds, we know that you have to get the 50% plus one, or you have to get the 51% to, to win the presidential election. If there are three major tickets, uh, in virtually every state, with the exception of two states, uh, you simply need the plurality. You simply, you know, so you can win all the electoral votes in a state with 36 percent, 37 percent, or whatever. And that's, you know, three can't three three tickets. Four if you count Cornell West. Um, so it, it, breaking people with that mindset that you have to reach a certain threshold when you when you don't. And when you look at the numbers. What Ryan had mentioned earlier, that the number of Americans who are dissatisfied with these choices, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And, uh, you know, uh, Victor Hugo uh, is uh, set credited with that quote that there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And when you look at how about half of Americans are identified as independents and, you know, a majority don't want to see this sequel, uh, it seems that folks are searching and Americans have an appetite uh, for this this attitude of working together and having uh, a ticket that they could potentially vote for as opposed to against to. Actually, you bring up a good You mentioned independence. What makes you guys different if you do have a candidate from the independent candidates? Um, well, look, if you think about the independent parties, like Andrew Yang tried to start the, the forward party, and um, they really are trying to challenge both parties up and down the ballot. We're really not trying to do that. What we want to do is we want to bring in people who may think of themselves as independents, but also people who say, look, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, and I may even vote down the line for my Republican House candidates or local candidates. But in this one instance, for this one election, I don't like who my party is funneling to the top of the ticket, and I want another choice. And that's where we really see the opening. It, it, it's not just independents who are behind this, although now like half the country identifies as an independent compared to just a third like 30 years ago. So that universe is growing, but the coalition for this is much bigger than just independents. A lot of Democrats, a lot of Republicans can get behind this. Right. 
Well, yeah, it's and and that's very interesting. It's an interesting point that they could still vote along your party line, but yeah, maybe you cross the aisle. And again, going back to Iowa, I talked to a gentleman who said, "Look, I've been a Democrat my whole life, and um, but this time around, I might walk across the aisle. I might, you know, vote this way, but when it comes to the president, I might go a different route." Um, so it gives people that. To your point, it gives people that option. Last question I have for you, and maybe I, I get an answer from both of you guys, but. You kind of mentioned that this is ingrained in people's heads that we have it a certain way. And it's really hard to break people out of habits, especially when you're looking at the entire country and something that uh, it's been done one way all of this time. So what is your guys' plan? Um, how do you break people of those habits? I, mean, I think to me, the biggest thing is you got to look credible. And the way to look credible is you have to get on the ballot. And that's why we've been working to do this since um, late 2021. So this, like, this is a ton of logistical work. Both parties have gotten really good at um, putting up barriers and rigging the system. So it's very hard for competition to emerge, but we plan for that. So I think as we get towards the end of this year, early next year, the more states we get on the ballot, um, I think the more people are going to think, wait a minute, this, this is real. This could happen. Yeah, and the, more, and the more people learn about no labels, the fact this isn't an organization that just popped up overnight. Uh, you know, we we've got a lot of achievements and a lot of um, great work uh, to to celebrate. And so, I think the more folks understand that there is an actual group that is attempting to to purge the partisanship in D.C. and to to bridge that divide, because I think a lot, most Americans are wanting that, but they're not seeing that you know their values being reflected in Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to see where this goes. And Joe and Ryan, I really do appreciate you coming on with me. I'll label this as a great conversation. That's where we'll, we will put a label. I really uh, loved the conversation we had and uh, we'll have to have you back on as we move forward to 2024. If you'll have, if you'll come on, I'll bring the beer and the pizza. <laughs> That'd be great. We'll be there then. Thanks, awesome. Abby. All right, if you miss anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about no labels. Number one, when talking about no labels, Ryan used the phrase, another voice, another choice, meaning no labels strives to give people an additional option for who they'd like to be elected. Number two, no labels didn't just appear out of nowhere, even though it seems like we've just been talking about it recently. It's actually been around for 14 years. The real reason Joe and Ryan think it's taking off now is because they say people don't want a repeat of 2020. And number three, No Labels hasn't officially announced a candidate for a couple of reasons. First, they aren't on the ballot in all 50 states. And second, they're waiting to see if voters are interested in a third party. Then they will move forward. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on No Labels. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Spooled with Abby Warnasek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Cast dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.